This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, as always, Dr. Andy Johnson. We're trying something a little bit different. I'm adding a video component to this. This is part three <clears throat> of a series of podcasts focusing on an article that Jessica Winter has written called The Rise and Fall of Vibes-Based Literacy. This was published in The New Yorker on September 1st. Now, Jessica Winter is an editor at The New Yorker, where she also writes about family and education. And she wrote this article. And I'm spending time analyzing it in this series of podcasts because it misdescribes reading instruction on a way that is hard to imagine. And in so doing, it perfectly represents the misdescriptions and ununderstandings of the science of reading movement. Now, normally I wouldn't waste a lot of time on a clown like Jessica Winter. As stated in an earlier podcast, a clown in literacy terms is one who thinks they know a great deal about literacy when in fact they know relatively little. They know so little that they don't even know how little they know. And what makes a clown a clown is that they go around making decisions promoting policies and advocating change based largely on personal anecdotes, I-thinkisms, and selected bits of research. <laughs> now, if one limits one's clownism to the privacy of one's own home, clownery would not be a problem. But when clowns with large platforms like Jessica Winter and Emily Hanford use their large platforms to spread clownery like an infectious disease, we must waste our time and energy creating an intellectual prophylactic. This is time that could have been spent actually helping children achieve their full literacy, uh, literacy potential. Now, Jessica Winter and Emily Hanford's intention may be good, but intent doesn't negate impact, and intent is not a free ticket to ignorance. So let me do some splaining here. The International Literacy Association was formerly known as the International Reading Association. It was founded in 1956. It's been around for 67 years and currently has over 300,000 members. The National Council of Teachers of English founded in 1911, has been around 112 years and has over 25,000 members. That's 325 current members of these two organizations consisting of researchers, scholars, teachers, writers, educators, professors, and parents from all over the world. And along comes Emily Hanford, who says, hmm, I think I know more than these people. After all, I'm a journalist. And along comes Jessica Winter, who says, I think I know more than all these people. After all, I'm a journalist, and I watched my kindergarten daughter try to sound out words in an online lesson. So they unpack their journalistic I thinkism kits and go about infecting the masses. Meanwhile, I'm left here and try to offer a little clown penicillin with my little, little, tiny podcast. 
So let's take a look first at what Jessica Winter got right. In her article in The New Yorker, <clears throat> Jessica Winter describes what she calls vibe-based literacy. And this again is based on her experience watching her kindergarten daughter's reading instruction, online reading instruction during COVID. So she writes in her article, and I'm quoting here, it seems to me that rather than learning to decode a word using phonics by matching sounds to letters with close adult guidance, a reader following this method, and I don't know what she's referring to in method, a reader following this method is conditioned to look away from the word in favor of the surrounding words or accompanying illustration to make a quasi-educated guess, perhaps all on her own. It seems possible that my kid's scattered, self-directed reading style wasn't entirely a product of her age or her temperament. To some extent, it had been taught to her. Now let's start unquote, by the way, let's start with what Jessica Winter got right. In the first sentence, she wrote, it seemed to me. And later she wrote, it seemed possible. And those are the two things that Jessica Winter got right. It seemed to her. She's doing a bunch of seeming here. And we can all agree on that. She came to conclusions about all of New York's literacy instructor based on what she seemed. And these seemed-based conclusions are what's called an I thinkism. Instead of relying on a body of research related to child development and reading instruction, she came to a conclusion based on what she seemed to think should or shouldn't be. I thinkisms is a common cognitive operation used in the clown club to come to understand reading instruction. So let's unpack Jessica Winter's first I think is a. She, in a sense, is saying this. She's saying, I, I seem to think that kindergarten students reading instruction should consist of learning to decode words using phonics. And she's seeming here. And she is saying, I seem to think kindergarten students should learn to match sounds to letters with close adult guidance. And again, she's seeming here. And Jessica Winters goes on to write, a reader following this method, and I don't know what method she's referring to here, but since the opening paragraph in her article is talking about reading workshop, we have to assume that this is what she's talking about. However, as I said, and I need to repeat it because she doesn't seem to get it, reading workshop is not a method with step-by-steps. It's an approach to reading instruction. It's not a method with specific steps. Reading workshop does not dictate a specific method. And most teachers using reading workshop, I would say all of them teach letter-sound relations, relationships using very direct and very explicit instruction. In fact, in reading workshop, it's more direct because 
phonics instruction occurs directly in the context of which phonics is used in real reading. Jessica Winter's second I thinkism is this. She say, I think students in readers workshop are conditioned, not taught. They are conditioned like a mouse in a Skinner box to look away from individual words instead of looking at surrounding words or still uh, illustrations. They're conditioned to look away from individual words and instead look at surrounding words or illustrations. That's what Jessica Winter's saying with this I thinkism. And she uses the word conditioned. Really? Is it operant condition or classical conditioning? Operant conditioning or classical conditioning? Are rewards given every time your child looks away from a word? Is your child given a mild electric shock every time she looks at the word? <clears throat> Jessica Winter says these students are conditioned. I want to know exactly what this conditioning might look like. Or perhaps it's not conditioning at all. Perhaps she didn't mean to use that buzzword. Perhaps she meant to use the word taught, that it's a lesson taught to kindergarten students using direct instruction. Okay, fair enough, but what would this lesson look like? What would the input be? Would it be something like this? Boys and girls, see this word? Look away, look away from it. Today, we're gonna teach you how to look away from words. Or maybe it went like this. Boys and girls, see this word, guess what it is? Or Boys and girls, see this word. Don't look at the letters. No matter what you do, don't look at the letters. Instead, guess what you think it might be. Or maybe it went like this. Boys and girls, we learn to read using the guess method. We just guess at every word we see. Yeah, Jessica, I bet you it went like that. By the way, Jessica, I'm guessing this is how you learn to do journalism. When doing journalism, were you conditioned to look away from the facts and then focus instead on surrounding conditions and the emotional picture? Is that what you were conditioned to do? Well, here is the facts. Jessica, in a meaning-based approach to reading instruction, such as reading workshop, very direct and explicit phonics instruction occurs. And it's not the what of phonics instruction, rather it's the how and the how much of phonics instruction that's of issue here. And just because you don't understand the how or can't perceive the how or can't imagine the how, doesn't mean the how doesn't exist. A famous philosopher and thinker once said, Send in the clowns, don't bother, they're here. Now let's look at kindergarten and developmentally appropriate practice. Another thing to consider about Jessica Winters, I thinkism, is that she used her daughter's COVID kindergarten online reading experience to generalize to all of New York's reading curriculum. Her daughter was in kindergarten. And kindergarten looks much different from first grade. And there's a reason for this. It's because kindergarten is not first 
grade. In kindergarten, children at our are at a developmentally different place than they are in first grade. And what's developmentally appropriate in first grade is often not appropriate in kindergarten. Now, a little bit of learning here for you, Jessica and Emily. Jean Piaget did some foundational research back in the 30s and 40s, looking at the thinking of children. This was good qualitative research where he observed actual children. It didn't involve controlled experimental research. And according to the science of reading criteria on what constitutes scientifically based research, this wouldn't even be research. And according to the National Reading Panel, this would not be scientifically based research. It wouldn't count. Yet in 1936, Piaget's research fundamentally changed the way we think about education and go about educating children. He influenced education in a very profound way, yet there wasn't a control or experimental group in sight. How is that possible? But Piaget found that children think in fundamentally different ways than adults do. He also found that intelligence and thinking develop in a series of stages as we move through infancy, infancy through adults. And he identified four stages. The first one, sensory motor from birth or age two. Here one's thinking is based on the senses, what one sees, hears, feels, tastes, and it's influenced by the child's ability to move about, to see the world in three dimensions. This impacts how the brain develops. They know the world through seeing, tasting, feeling. Pre-operational, about ages two to seven. Pre-operational stage and operation here is a thinking process. It's the ability to take in information and use it versus simply responding to it. This pre-operational stage is a pre-reasoning stage. The child is not able to use logic in a formal way, a kind of if A, then B kind of, they're not quite able to do that, pre-operational. And that's kindergarten, ages two to seven or so. And these ages are approximations. Concrete operational, this is first grade, ages seven to 11. This is the beginning, the beginning of formal logic. Here you're able to use a cognitive operation, a thinking process to manipulate knowledge. And formal operation ages 11 through adulthood, this is the beginning of the ability to use abstractions and more advanced forms of logical thinking. There's a monumental shift in students' ability to think as they move from kindergarten to first grade. They move from the pre-operational, before logic, to concrete operational logic. That's very concrete. That's why reading instruction in kindergarten should look much different than reading instruction in first grade. To be effective, instruction must be developmentally appropriate. In kindergarten, children will not learn effectively if instruction is not developmentally appropriate. So let's take a look at the push down curriculum in kindergarten. 
what you don't want in any circumstances in kindergarten, but what the Science of Reading Clown Club is pushing is what's called the push-down curriculum. This is when a first grade curriculum is pushed down into kindergarten. And this is based on a whole lot of I thinkisms or seems to me kind of thinking. I guess you could call it pre-operational thinking. The pre-operational thinking here is that if you start children earlier, that they'll be further along down the road. This is very pre-operational. Jessica Winter seems to be wallowing in pre-operational thinking. And I'm sure that seems to make good sense. It seems to be right. If you've never read any of Piaget or anything about child development, it makes good sense to start formalized reading instruction in kindergarten. However, research shows that children do not benefit from formalized reading instruction until around age seven in first grade. Starting formalized worksheets-based first grade reading instruction at the age of five is of little benefit. As a matter of fact, it can be detrimental, creating experiences of failure and frustration for some. It can result in learning experiences that are forced upon young children that aren't natural or enjoyable and create an aversion to learning. What, you say? No reading instruction? What? What? And no, I didn't say no reading instruction. I said formalized, worksheets-based, first-grade reading instruction. Reading instruction should be started in developmentally appropriate ways at birth. Well, what about phonics? We must teach phonics. What about the children? Who's going to protect the children? And before you get all whooped up about it, start waving your penguin flippers in the air. Let me say that this does not mean you don't teach reading or you don't teach phonics. Quite the opposite. Phonics is taught very directly and very explicitly in good kindergarten classrooms in developmentally appropriate ways. Well, what would that look like? Well, let me tell you what it would look like. For example, the D sound might be taught in the context of a book about Dave the dog. Children would be asked to manipulate letters on cookie sheet activities. You might write and read stories about dogs. You might look for D words in books. There might be D games and manipulatives. There'd be D songs and riddles and poems. This is how children learn. There might even be activities such as dance or movement in which children would be asked to move their bodies in certain D ways. The point is young children learn through play and exploration and talk there be planned and systematic play, exploration, and talk based on the letter D. There'd be short bits of very explicit and very direct instruction, lasting one to two minutes. This would take place in the context of authentic reading, writing, thinking, and play activities. This is what research says, a full gamut of research not one or two controlled experimental studies. 
and many of the effects of play-based types of learning activities have a very strong basis in research. These don't transfer to an online environment. Now, if you knew nothing about literacy, early literacy or child development and had no intention of finding out, I could see why this stuff may have seemed to you other than it is, but there you have it. It's not the stuff that is the problem. It's rather your seeming about the stuff. And remember, good reading instruction does not teach children to merely sound out words. Good reading instruction teaches children to be and become literate, to use thinking, reading, and writing for real purposes, not to fill in bubbles in the artificial world of standardized tests. Now let's take a look at balanced literacy. Clowns, and again, I use the word in the most complimentary way possible, Clowns in the Clown Club throw around this term balanced literacy as if it's a swear word, a pejorative. Balanced literacy. You and your balanced literacy. Jessica Winter does this in her article. Same with Emily Hanford. Jessica Winter uses her seeming to muddle up balanced literacy and with units of study, with teachers' college. And I would ask this of Jessica and Emily and the other clowns. Define what you think balanced literacy is. What is it? Now, it's one thing to hear the term. It's another thing to know what the term is. Now, maybe when you first read the term balanced literacy in a book, maybe you only looked at the letters. Maybe you didn't look at any of the words around it. Maybe that's why you don't understand what balanced literacy is. You see, Jessica, there are times when it's necessary to look at the surrounding words. It helps you understand what you're reading. Now, this is what balanced literacy is. And I'll say this very slow, asking that Jessica and Emily listen not only to the individual words, but the words surrounding the individual words so that you understand what I'm talking about. Let's start with what balanced literacy is not. It's not an approach or method. Balanced literacy also does not ignore or diminish phonics instruction. It does not promote the cueing approach, whatever that is. Balanced literacy does not teach children to guess at words, and balanced literacy is not a communist plot to overthrow America. Balanced literacy is a continuum, a continuum with explicit skills instruction on one end and meaning-based activities on the other end. Balanced literacy says that in any classroom, there should always be a balance between the two. However, there's a sliding structure between the two ends of the continuum that gravitates towards either end, depending on the needs of the students. Some students need more of this, some need more of that. There is no standardized approach, but there should be 10 elements in a comprehensive balanced literacy approach. Phonemic awareness, phonics and word work, activities to develop all three 
word recognition systems, activities for word identification and instruction, daily reading practice, social interaction, authentic writing, comprehension instruction, vocabulary or word knowledge, and attention to the affective elements, motivation and emotions. All 10, all 10. These are the 10 elements and they each exist to the degree to which each is necessary with the students that you're working with. You wouldn't see any of these 10 in every lesson, that would be silly, but over the course of the week, you could expect to see most, if not all. And of course, when children are reading comfortably at reading level one, phonemic awareness should be discontinued. And they're when they're reading comfortably at reading level two, phonics instruction should begin to taper. Now in your article, Jessica, you state, this is you speaking, it's not me, I'm not making up your words. You're saying there's a long-standing consensus among researchers that intensive phonics and vocabulary building instruction, an approach often referred to nowadays as the science of reading, that these are essential. And you're saying that intensive phonics instruction is essential, vocabulary building instruction is essential. Well, let's break this down. What do you mean by long-standing? How long is long-standing? Is it like 112 years, as long as the National Council of Teachers of English have existed? Or is it 56 years, as long as the International Literacy Association has existed? How long is it? And who are these nameless, faceless researchers? What is a researcher? Are they the researchers who prove that nine out of 10 dentists recommend Crest toothpaste? Are they the same researchers who prove that you need to wait an hour after eating before you go swimming? Everybody believes that phonics instruction should be part of an early reading, a part of early reading instruction. Everybody believes that Jessica and Emily but let's take a look at what the National Reading Panel report says. Absolutely. This is the Bible quoted by the Science of Reading Clown Club. Let's see what they actually say, what this report says about phonics and balanced reading instruction. And this is going to blow your mind, so you may want to sit down just a little bit, Emily and Jessica. The limited impact of phonics. It says phonics instruction failed to produce a significant impact on the reading performance of low achieving readers in grades two through six. Whoa, whoa, low performing readers two through six, limited impact. Hmm. But what do we do with struggling readers? We give them more of what has a limited impact. Hmm, that doesn't seem research-based. Impact of phonics on comprehension is limited. You read to comprehend, don't you? It says that phonics instruction contributed only weekly, if at all, in helping poor readers apply these skills to actually read text. But isn't that why we do phonics? Not to score well on phonics sheets, but to actually read. And the report said that there were insufficient data to draw any conclusions about the effects of phonics instruction with normally developing readers above first grade. Don't believe me? Look it up yourself. All right, what does it say about balanced literacy instruction? The National Reading Panel report said programs that focus too much on teaching of letter sound relations 
and not enough on putting them to use are unlikely to be very effective. Students need to apply their skills in daily reading and writing activities. It says that systematic phonics instruction should be integrated with other reading instruction to create a, wait for it, wait for it, balanced reading program. Quality literature should be included in a reading program. Phonics should not become the dominant component of a reading program. It said that phonic, uh, programs that focus too much on phonics with little time spent practicing reading books are likely to be ineffective. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Well, we all know that phonics is important. How should it be taught? What program should we buy? The National Reading Panel said this. There are several ways to teach phonics. Synthetic phonics, analytic phonics, embedded phonics, analytic phonics or ana analogy phonics or large unit phonics, onset rhyme phonics, phonics through spelling, all approaches are equally effective. And let's end with vocabulary. Since they insisted that reading instruction should consist only apparently, of intensive phonics instruction and vocabulary building instruction. These are fancy sounding words, but we know, everyone knows that attending to vocabulary is important, but what does vocabulary building instruction look like? Tell me, Jessica and Emily, you're the experts. What does it look like? It's one thing to say it, but what does it mean? Know this, that children learn between 3,000 and 5,000 words a year. They don't learn these through vocabulary worksheets. So what does your vocabulary building instruction look like? It seems to me, Emily and Jessica, that you think that early reading instruction consists mostly, if not exclusively, of intensive phonics and vocabulary building instruction. Is that right? Well, I'm sure you want to be research based in these conclusions. Can you find me just a couple of legitimate studies that compares an approach using intensive phonics and vocabulary building instruction to a meaning based approach uh, of instruction consisting of the 10 pillars? Not on the ability to do phonics worksheet, but the ability to create meaning with print in the impact that it has. If so, please send the study my way. I'll be happy to delete this podcast and make another one. This has been the Reading Instruction Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson.